Godfrey, I'm commandeering the PAPN feed, and you're just going to have to live with it. What the hell? So th- consider this the first official podcast ain't played nobody spinoff. This is the a different world of ugh. That's a terrible reference now. No, it's still a good right. reference. Screw it. This is you know, what you're about to listen to is something that I've had in my head for years. I've always thought that the PAPN part of the draw of PAPN because apparently there's a draw. People continue to listen uh, is the element of discovery of not just talking about five topics of, of talking about everything and trying to discover new things. Well, for me personally, I've been watching travel shows for a very, very long time, uh, the, mostly of the food variety, the discovering a culture through food uh, type of thing. Well, nobody's really done that with sports, so I'm going to attempt to do that with sports. What have you done, Bill? Uh, when I went back to Oklahoma for uh, a class reunion in August, I recorded the pilot because pilots are low cost and I was already there. Uh, a pilot episode of uh, whatever we are going to end up calling this show. We'll say Great Sports City. That sounds like something I would do, right? I have done an Oklahoma City sports travel show of sorts in which uh, we get to, we use sports to open the window to it. Never mind. I'm going to stop there because I want people to actually listen. I'm not going to get into super pretentiousness. What were you doing in Oklahoma, Bill? Well, I was going to a class reunion, but I talked to people I know. I talked to people I didn't hadn't met before. I talked to OU people and OSU people. I talked about the thunder. I talked about food. Uh, we talked about politics a little bit because uh, I grew up around a bunch of people in Oklahoma who have very different po- uh, political views than I do, and I love them all the same. Uh, and we, uh, you know, talked to pretty interesting people. Talked to a blogger. Talked to good friends from high school. Talked to the voice of Oklahoma State football and basketball. And I think it turned out pretty well. Let's take a listen. I am Bill Connolly, and this is what we will call Great Sports City. It is an attempt to look at a city's culture through its sports. I figure the least sports can do is inform us in this manner, seeing as how sports tribalism has taken over every single aspect of American life in all the wrong ways. Uh, It is in our nature to be attracted to tribes, and being part of one allows us to create a kind of us-versus-them, black-and-white world that we crave. Sports should be perfect for venting these urges. Our team always has another foe to hate. We can create reasons for why our team is always the best, and we can believe that our rivals can never hope to top us. If they do, they had to be cheating. Uh, When we walk up to someone wearing a certain color of t-shirt, we know in advance that they are our friends. That other color? Cheating asses. Sports can allow us to get all of the immature, ridiculous, no gray area thoughts out of our system so that we can be a functional part of the real world. Uh, It doesn't actually work that way. T-shirts aside, virtually everything I just said goes for how we live our non-sports lives. Politics, race, gender, religion, uh, even which church we belong to within a given religion. Sports do not create an outlet. They create a template. I wanted to do something about this within the little niche I've carved for myself. And honestly, all I could think to do is go places and talk to people. We're going to start in my home state. There has never been a more fitting state slogan than Oklahoma is okay. They used to put it on license plates throughout the 80s. It rubbed off on other places, too. In my hometown of Weatherford, for instance, about an hour west of Oklahoma City, there was a sign that said, and I'm not kidding, everybody's got to live somewhere. Why not Weatherford? Oklahoma, come exist with us. 
This state has a long history of mixing humility and pride, often very awkwardly so. Oklahoma will brag about being normal and humble and friendly, but if you mention any number of things, New York City, for example, or anything involving the words elites or liberal or Texas Longhorns, the chest puffs out a little bit. There's a defiant competitive side here. It's kind of the best and worst thing about the state. This can result in very uh, very toxic politics, but we'll get to that in a little bit. More peripherally, it shows up in a couple of primary ways. Number one, food, barbecue, Mexican, chicken fried steak. If you've ever had a bad meal in Oklahoma or Oklahoma City, it's probably your fault. But despite only recently landing a major league level professional sports team, sorry Seattle, Oklahoma as a whole is probably known more for sports than food. In the absence of a pro team, OU football long ago became the pro team of choice. And while the OU quarterback, Baker Mayfield, and the OSU quarterback, Mason Rudolph, are probably among the top five most well-known athletes in the state, the other three are probably now professional basketball players. That's a little different. Sports life in and around Oklahoma City means picking a side between orange and red. It means squeezing in time for a Thunder game or two. It means if you're in a rural area, and there are plenty in this state, it might mean choosing between a hardcore football or baseball upbringing. Small towns in Oklahoma, really, really good at baseball. Usually football, too. To begin an exploration of a place I'd already gotten to know quite well, I decided to start with a predictable source, a blogger. Go with what you know, right? The Lost Ogle has been cataloging the absurdities of Oklahoma City life for more than a decade now, documenting just how much Skip Bayless inflated his own high school basketball prowess, falling in and out of love with Wayne Coyne and the Flaming Lips, logging every particularly heinous misstep from the office of Oklahoma's particularly heinous governor, denoting the best and worst of the local media, and until recently, running an annual state fair photo contest that tickled my father to no end. He was very disappointed when it stopped. The name itself is a perfect inside joke. There are approximately 1,462 ogles working in in news television in Oklahoma City. Kevin, Kent, Kelly, Abigail. Sleepy, sneezy, dopey. If you are from Oklahoma, you instantly understand the title. Back in August, I met Patrick Riley, purveyor of the Lost Ogle, at Anthem Brewery just south of downtown in the shadow of the 50-story Devon Energy Center, by far the largest building in the Oklahoma City skyline, for the unveil of this year's crop of Ogletoberfest, a blogger-brewer collaboration of which there should be many more. Turns out we have a common acquaintance. We'll start our tour of Oklahoma City there. So about 30 minutes ago, I learned that we have a very good common acquaintance. Uh, who you used to work for and who I've known since I was born, uh, he told me to ask you about Zippy. <laughs> I, uh, I'm kind of like Wayne from Wayne's World, where I've had a great assortment of uh, jobs and careers and whatnot. I, uh, I was Zippy the Mailbox for mailboxes, etc., which uh, equated to putting on my headphones, <laughs> dressing up in a mailbox costume, and uh, walking outside and waving at cars, <laughs> usually holding a two-cent copy sign or, or something like that. And, and, and this was successful. I mean, they, this was... I'm, I'm one of the best Zippy okay. mailboxes in the history. I mean, it was, a, it was, a, it was an honor, you know, to, <laughs> to, to, to be Zippy. I mean, I've, only, I've seen Little Caesars do that, but if you can sell mailboxes or mail, you know, whatever, spaces, post office boxes, et cetera. It, it's a one-stop shop for all printing, copying, and mailboxes <laughs> needs. So I also want to congratulate you on the fact that um, you figured out that blogging is the way into the brewing game. It is. It just took a few years. Yeah. We're, uh, we have a really cool um, Vienna-style Oktoberfest beer that's, uh, or beer 
that is called Ogletoberfest. That's right. It's uh, there's a good description on the can. We're drinking it on tap right now <laughs> here at Anthem. It's brewed by Anthem Brewery. It's a really cool deal. We're really glad that they worked with us to do it. And you know, it's not every day. Probably a blog comes in wanting you to <laughs> do a co-branded beer with them. But but it's worked out great. This is the third year we've done it. Um, it's available in Oklahoma, some areas of Arkansas, some areas of Kansas. Okay. So. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, it is it's funny the arrangements you make. But, I mean, this is, I guess, if you start a, a blog about a city, right. then you become part of the city after a while. And um, what, I mean, this is 10 years, right? I mean, it was. Yeah, we've been doing, uh, the Lost Ogle's been around for 10 years. It uh, started off as just a goofy little hobby that built off an idea that I had and a couple of uh, guys I know helped me out at the beginning and after about five years uh, I found myself unemployed and uh, decided to try to expand from a blog into more of an alternative media outlet and that's what we've grown into. And this, this story sounds familiar to anybody who, who has come to SB Nation to listen to this. I think a lot of people uh, in the blogosphere kind of came about things in exactly the same way. Yeah. Patrick's entrance into the blogger world was unique. He began writing about the New Orleans Hornets during their Katrina-based time of displacement from New Orleans. Uh, They eventually went back to the Crescent City and became the Pelicans, but not too long after that, Oklahoma City took on another franchise instead, the Thunder, formerly the Seattle Supersonics. I wanted to ask Patrick about something I've thought a lot about since the Thunder came to town, the new competition for the sports entertainment dollar. From the time I was five, I was like, you know, it was pretty obvious this place could support a professional team like that this is a, a city that loves for, uh, sports lives for sports in a lot of ways uh, and then they finally get an NBA team how has that impacted say OU and OSU basketball you know has, has there been less attention I think at first there was maybe a little bit of an attendance dip but has that continued through the years um with the Thunder I, I think it has well I you know I would actually go beyond the basketball, OU and OU, OSU yeah. basketball, and I would say that the Thunder has kind of done a direct, you know, frontal attack on OU football. <laughs> um, they're, they're different sports. They're like You can't get any more different than college football right. and NBA basketball. Um, but, yeah, I mean, college basketball in Oklahoma, well, if you have a good coach and your team's good, you'll, it's very fair weather. But, you know, right. college football is king, and the Thunder is – really encroached on that that this, turf. This does kind of prove a theory I've long had about Missouri, though. Like, um, a lot of the places that have the most hardcore, you know, football fan base or basketball in some cases, it's really because you don't have anywhere else to spend your sports budget. Right. Uh, and if you're in, like, I mean, I, I've been a Missouri, I've lived in Columbia for 20 years now, and, yeah, if you have Cardinals season tickets, you're only going to come to a couple football games. But, you know, if you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, or Tuscaloosa, or I guess until recently, Norman, um, then this is your budget. You're going all in on six or seven home games, and that's it. Yeah. You know, I, I describe it, my, my antidotal, anecdotal <laughs> story about this. You know, I, I'm from Oklahoma City, born and raised. I live 20 miles from Memorial Stadium. You know, everyone in my family was so you've, you, you kind of, like, oh, the University of Oklahoma was the professional sports Right. Team. Oh, yeah, that's what I've always said, yeah. So I was born and raised an Oklahoma fan. I'm that I'm that kind of fan. I never went to school there. I right. was too poor to go there. But you know, I've always been a fan. I mean, Boomer Sooner was the first song um, I learned. I would have to like watch the games alone in solitude because I would yell at my TV. Yeah. I mean, I was about as hardcore gung ho as you could get. Yada yada yada. Blah blah blah. I think it's like 2000. What 
2012, 2013, right. Oklahoma, Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. It's the year Notre Dame was, you know, they were, I think it's the year they played the national championship. Yeah, 12, 12, yeah. Yeah, and it's Memorial Stadium, night game, Saturday night football, game of the year, fourth quarter. Notre Dame has like, a, I think, a seven, three-point lead, something like that. And good old Landry Jones is yeah. taking the field at the 20-yard line. He's going to lead OU down for the score. And then I get a text on my phone. We just traded James Harden. Ah. And, and I'll tell you, for the, all of a sudden, my focus went away from that. <laughs> Once again, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, yeah. like two of the most storied programs, like the, li- the lifelong fans' dream game, fourth quarter, here's the moment of glory. And I am like have the split screen on like ESPN so I can see, like wow. texting. That's all everyone. Twitter went from OU Notre Dame to you know, what the, what the, what we, we traded James Harden for, <laughs> for what, you know? And, and I think that just shows like, that was when you learned that, Hey, this is the thunder, the yeah, thunder seriously. there. They're right up there with OU football. Now you've definitely gotten more into politics, uh, uh, recently, which I mean, I think it's hard to hard not to like, it, right. it's, it's, you're, you're getting drawn out no matter which side. Well, you're I mean, on that's, that's point. where the clicks are right now. Yeah. I'm for, you know, as a publisher, you have to, you have to, it's it's complicated because you have to look at have to look at things from a publisher's perspective, an editor's perspective, and a writer's perspective, yeah. and the reader's perspective. And I've always, um, I mean, I grew up our west of here, town of ten thousand. You know, looking back, I think it was very jarring for me because uh, politics didn't really exist uh, like among my friends. And then I remember being in like seventh or eighth grade. Um, it was ninety two. It was, it was Bush Clinton. We had a little poll in our school, <laughs> um, and you know, of course, I, I knew what team I was on. I voted that team, and it came back like seventy two percent Bush or something. Yeah. And I was like, what what Same. am I? And like all my friends had voted that way, and that was my first realization that I am weird. I am no, not normal in this. No lot. Same thing happened uh, at my school. Probably like, I'm I'm 39. How old are you? Yeah. 30, so we're, yeah. yeah. So I it was in that class we did the school election. It was about the same thing. So, yeah. And I'm like, wait, like you know, my dad. I had retired, you know, ex hippie parents. Right. My dad's an artist. My dad's They're a very liberal. So, yeah. yeah, liberals. So I'm like, what the like really? And it, it put it in perspective that I am politically, like even at that age, even though you really don't have any, you're just basically do what your parents like that right, when you're that right, age yeah. you have no political yeah thought. i mean it's and, whatever and your parents were. you know occasionally you you'll see people who skew from their parents but most of them just become their parents i i kind of have i mean right. i split the difference between mine um but you know that was a jarring experience but it also i mean i still like all my second parents and third parents my my you know my friends parents and whatnot they're all hardcore right and, and they love me and i you know whatever it's it's a different uh, environment when you grow up uh like that but um, but you, I mean, you you grew up in a city which was a little more. Well, no, actually, I'm not going to say that because depends on the neighborhood, I guess. Wh- how far left or right? Uh, you know, I think it's around. fair to say even <laughs> like yeah. a liberal pocket of Oklahoma would be considered probably moderate or conservative. Yeah. Yeah. If put in Massachusetts or you know, <laughs> now for for all your uh, college football listeners uh, throughout the SEC, they would yeah. probably, they would probably like like that, and, and I don't have a you know. It, it it keeps me in business and because it you know ha- there, there there is value in having uh, the perspective of the you know on politics being on the other side. I've been trying for a while to figure out why Oklahoma is so damn good with food. Uh, I think there are basically three answers. First, you've got the southern comfort food aspect, not to mention the availability of cattle. You can get good steak or country fried steak or hamburger or whatever, good mashed potatoes, good mac and cheese, etc., etc. All that's easy enough to understand. Beyond that, though, 
while this is a more homogenous state than many, you do have the unique confluence of Hispanic influence and, for that matter, Native American influence. If you haven't had a true Indian taco in your life, well, rectify that one way or another. Plus, at this point, there's a bit of a hipster influence. Life in a red state tends to produce little hippie enclaves with an independent streak, and typically those damn hippies can cook. New creative restaurants are popping up in little hipster areas around Oklahoma City. Uh, My favorite is a place called The Mule in a neighborhood called the Plaza District, just west of downtown. They serve what they call oaky poutine, fries, local cheese curds, and a white gravy. Uh, And one of my favorite sandwiches in the world, the Cortez. Braised short ribs, caramelized onions, grilled jalapeno, pepper cheese, spicy aioli on a jalapeno cornbread. It'll make your nose run, but it isn't too hot to finish it. It's great. Coming to Oklahoma City, though, almost requires a glossary of sorts, a food map. Maybe this reflects a small-town ethos in the same way that randomly finding out a great family friend employed the same person you're interviewing. Uh, But when Oklahoma Cityans find something they like, word travels very fast. An aging sandwich chain called City Bites took hold a couple of decades ago and still has locations throughout the city. A Mexican place called Ted's caught fire and now has approximately 4 million locations, some even out of state. Johnny's Charcoal Broiler. My God, my wife has to go there every single time she's in town. Great onion rings. And on it goes. Brahms, Hideaway Pizza. Every city has local chains, but this goes a few steps further. But there's always value in the old standards. The old, old standards. The, the food here, I, one of the other features I've enjoyed on your site is, is the, uh, the guy who goes to the old, super old restaurants. Right. Uh, usually with chicken fried steak. Um, there's that aspect that is all over Oklahoma. You really can't. Uh, I, I know that some of those places have closed, but a lot of them haven't somehow. I'm not right. completely sure. But then you've got the, the hipsters and the, and the new restaurants yeah. that are mostly awesome. And so, you know, that's a weird kind of mix. But if you had your choice, like old school chicken fried steak or like Asian fusion out on 39th. Yeah, give me the chicken fried yeah. steak. That, that's the Oklahoma. That's our signature dish. Either yeah. that or the onion burger. Yeah. Which probably tells you everything yeah. you need to know about Oklahoma. Yeah, I love that the onion burger has a story, like a you know depression, depression and, era, and yeah. all that. But it's also an onion burger, and one of my old roommates back in the college days, mm. he uh, his family owned it was JW Grill in Chickasha, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, it's a famous onion burger stand, and so he would have to go home on the weekends and work, and when he would come back on Sunday night, he'd have two big bags of burgers. <laughs> That he just put in the freezer. You know, this was this was the college days. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, go yeah. out, have a good time, <laughs> come home. <laughs> Those onion burgers, they, they held up well in the microwave. Uh, thoughts on Whataburger? Whataburger? Yes. It's all right. Thank you. You know, here in Oklahoma, I I won't delve into the reasons why I'm mad at the company right now. That, that Brahms <laughs> is kind of like. If you I've want the cheap you, fast food Oklahoma burger, yeah. go to Brahms. Yes. Be prepared to wait wait a while. Don't get too mad if they get your order wrong. But it's an you know burgers and ice cream. Go go there just so you can say you did it. We always get a Hopefully limeade. They get your order right. We always get a limeade when we're here. It's sometimes awesome and sometimes yeah, just, just soda water it, and ice. It really is rolling the dice. But when you hit when you hit Snake Eyes, it's it's so good. But. Whataburger is the ultimate for me uh, when it comes to like everything has a cult following. If you've eaten In and Out once in your life uh, and you don't get it all the time, uh, you'll tell you know mythical stories about how amazing it is, and it's very good. Uh, and then the, the other side will say, oh, I had it once. It was terrible. I, it's overrated, yeah. et cetera. But the, the cult following with Whataburger has just confused me for 20 years. I, I've it's never, fine. I didn't know, I didn't know it had a cult following. Does it really? It, it, it does. Really? I think, you know, especially among like Texas natives who ended up at Mizzou for J school or okay. whatever. I got to, like, I, I don't, I don't understand. You, 
the the one fast food chain that when like I have friends coming back to Oklahoma City, the one place they always mm. want to go to is Taco Bueno, <laughs> which is a uh, it's a Mexican fast food chain yeah. located I think in like Texas and Oklahoma, yeah. maybe I don't know maybe some other states in that region. Down and dirty Mexican Quite. food. Yeah. It's, you know, I call it, there's Tex-Mex, then you have Oki Tex-Mex. <laughs> we have so many little divey Tex-Mex places, and I think Oklahoma is the only place in the country where they still bring you, when they bring you the chips and salsa, they also bring you, like, queso, yeah. relish, jalapeno. They still give you, like, you, you eat, you're done with your meal by the time your regular meal arrives. And in the small town uh, iteration, Taco Mayo. That's what we had Taco, in Weatherford. Yeah, Takamai, yeah. yeah. I mean, There's it was... There's definitely a turf war between... Uh, <laughs> it was it was nice to be able to eat, like, lunch for $2 in high school. Yeah. And you get a couple bean burritos, you're not going to want to eat for a very long time. It's Takamai me, baby. Yeah. So you're married to Oklahoma City. Pretty much, sadly. Right. So, I mean, and that's... You know, and, and Missouri's increasingly red here, but the, the whole... Um, concept of basically living somewhere where you know you vehemently disagree with about 75 percent of the people around you right like a i always you know try to think like when i'm having conversations like to to, to go down the road of like how does this ever change Mm -hmm. it doesn't but how like how how do we get past like where we are currently which is uh where where politics has just become sports teams uh, and and they're cheating and we're not and and uh, it's not new it's gotten magnified yeah. but it's not a new thing. Yeah, I. It's funny you bring that up because, you know, when I watch uh, and I and I hate cable news, mm. but when I watch it, it kind of reminds me of you know sports, yeah, politics, no, politics and sports coverage are very similar. You have these weird conflicts of interests where you have these for-profit media organizations <laughs> that profit off the. Yep. Uh, off the thing they're they also supposed the to cover works, with yeah. journalistic yeah. integrity people talk about it is kind of a weird if you really think of it, it is kind of fake news in a weird way because <laughs> it has a uh, bias towards uh ratings it's always yeah. going to go for the lowest fruit while to get the most eyeballs uh whatever is most popular doesn't mean it's the best you know <laughs> so just because it gets high ratings doesn't mean it's good mcdonald's right. is busiest rest busiest restaurant in the world it's not good so I don't know. I, I'm kind of rambling on. I, I mean, this is this makes me feel better because I don't have an answer either. And uh, but you know, but I think it. You say living in a place where 75 yeah. percent of people. It's actually not it's even like that. 64. Yeah, I mean, 50, I was, yeah. you know, it's funny. Like Oklahoma, red state, very yeah. red. Like 60 percent, you know, voted for Trump. Right. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. So you could put 10 people in a room. Six did. Right. Like, I mean, that's really actually not. Yeah. Not that it, not that extreme, and I'm naturally one. I don't really identify with. Le- I, I can. I'm one of those weirdos. Kind of consider myself like a liberal, libertarian type. Right. Like, do what you want to do. Leave me alone. But yeah. I. But I just think we should all. I think the richest country in the world should be able to provide health care for its care citizens. Of people, yeah. yeah, that's just my. Like you know, hey, if somebody. But anyway, so but around here, so you know, politically, if on a political story, you know, I try to kind of. The way I cover it and the way I look at things is I'm going to say antagon- try to make it antagonistic to everyone. <laughs> and and somehow it's not like, you know, it's something I blatantly do. It's just kind of my style, I guess, you know. I just, the, the team aspect is what I really wish we could move past. Because, I mean, if you view something a certain way, fine. But it's really, you get the impression a lot of time, it's kind of like, well, I disagree with most of this, but it's my team. What am I going to do? I'm not going to go sports against Sports is team. the most irrational thing yeah. in the world. I mean, it's... And it's fine with sports. 
But when, yeah. when, we, when we're doing the same thing for like healthcare, it, yeah. It's but it's weird. it's. I think that's why I think it's so similar. It's that tribe mentality. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a you know you're, I'm a Cardinals fan, and you look at everything <laughs> through that Cardinals point of view. Um, I'm a conservative. You look at everything, and you rally around you. You you know, and it, I think it's more pronounced now with social media it creates more vacuums. Yeah. So I used to think the internet was going to be the greatest thing for this because we can always find yeah. the truth. Didn't really work that way. Didn't yeah, quite right. yeah. work that we can find our we can find out what we want to hear. But one more thing, I definitely wanted to prompt with Patrick, Connie Chung. Speaking of things that locals understand immediately and outsiders may not. Uh, what is something that people uh, probably misunderstand the most about Oklahoma City? What's the What's the one thing that you wish people understood uh, about Oklahoma City? You know, we're we're, we're not all cowboys. <laughs> you know, you don't need every meal at Cattleman's. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, one interesting thing about Oklahoma City is, and, and we actually touched on this recently, is a lot of people really don't know how to identify Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, if you look out on a map, you think it's Midwest. We don't really have a Midwestern culture uh-huh. in Oklahoma City, but tells, you go up to northeastern part of the state, it's very Missouri, very, yeah. very Midwestern. You go to the southeastern part of Oklahoma, it's very southern. It's just like, just like the south. Yeah. Uh, in Oklahoma City, we're, we're kind of like a... Dallas light. We're like Texas, you know, we're like Austin or Dallas, something like that. Well, and it really does just come down to the ratio of like, uh, of not only Earl and, and uh, Earl, urban and rural, um, but then also like what rural, like what, what is, what are the rural uh, industries and whatnot, but <laughs> There's a lot of, but I, back to original, it's just, you know, and I, and I get it. You know, yeah. I, 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 I'd always go for the low-hanging stereotype jokes. Oh, yeah, it's, it's we, we, we have cars. We have automobiles. <laughs> you know, we, we have universities. We, we actually have, like, some intelligent people that come there from There has never been more of the, whatever Oki I have in me has never come out more than it did when Connie Chung was interviewing, like, the fire chief yeah. after the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, yeah. She's like, do you have, like... The technology to handle such a yeah, thing. Yeah, it was like, can you all like? Do you have what it takes? Yeah. There were there people printed T-shirts. Yeah. Screw you, Connie Chung. Yeah. We did a ranking of like the the biggest <laughs> Oklahoma City villains. Yeah. No. And Twenty years yeah, later. Con- yeah. Connie. Yeah. Connie Chung was uh, that right was, up there. That was staggering. I didn't realize I had any sort of Oki pride in, t- in me until that exact moment. Have you gotten used to earthquakes? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> that, that, it, sometimes they're like, you know, we, you do have a choice of where you live. And so I'm like, yeah. why, do, why do I live in the state? Like, at least in the good old days, you can say, ourselves. hey, yeah. hey, at least, you know, like the tornadoes, you kind of know where they are. You yeah. can take shelter. You can avoid them. Earthquakes are, are the scariest. Like, we've gone from having zero a year to, to almost a thousand. Yeah. We just had one, a, like a, a, a 4.3 struck yeah. Edmund, uh, just in it, like knocked out power for about 5,000 people. And it's. And it, the the infuriating part, at least for me, is it's man-made. Yeah, it's they, completely by choice. The uh, corporatized buzzword they want to use is induced seismicity, wow. or something like that. Yeah, that's wow. that's their like soft like you know they, huh. they they do all these the corporations they do, it. but it's you know basically Oklahoma is an energy producing state, and the way they extract that fuel, they have a lot of leftover like lakes, oceans of wastewater <laughs> that they have to pump down into uh, the earth. And now they're realizing, huh, in like certain environments or situations, that uh, water we're putting down, there is lubricating ancient faults that haven't been disturbed <laughs> in like eons. And, and now, it, now they really don't know. But it's, we, we haven't had like a, the biggest one was like a 5.5. 5. 
Which is pretty big. Which is still pretty big. Yeah. Like it did, it hit, it was kind of in a different part, but it did some damage. Like you don't want to be standing next to a brick wall in a 5.5 earthquake. So there is, it's kind of the things you kind of joke about. I fell to them and you're kind of like, okay, it's not that bad. It's kind of cool when it doesn't do damage. But I think there's damage it does to my house. I don't see, like I have new cracks that have right. formed after each earthquake. And it's infuriating that it's something that could have been prevented by more responsible corporate stewardship and not just, you know, I, I'm just thinking, that doesn't seem right to be pumping like like millions upon millions of gallons of this water under the ground is, is just going to work. Like, eh, that's fine. I, I This is the perfect example of what I've, um, you know, we, we framed the whole global warming uh, save the earth thing wrong all along. We're not saving the earth. We're saving ourselves from the earth because the earth is going to win. The earth is going to eliminate us if we keep... Uh, doing this, and this is the best possible example. Like we, this yeah. is completely man-made. Well, that's what uh, George Carlin has a fam- like a, yeah. a really good bit about that. Where we'll talk about like, eh, Earth's fine. Yeah, like, it, we're, so we're not, not killing the Earth. Yeah. We're killing ourselves. There's a there's a big difference. Uh, you know, I always say it's like you know, global warming is a serious threat, and I think we need to start addressing it in case we make it that long. Right. Because <laughs> I still think there are other threats that yeah. we've kind of built on our own that are a lot more scary and terrifying to me than uh global warming so well i I appreciate it zippy um (laughs) we are uh, two cent copies uh all all month long at mailboxes etc i think they're gone now by the way if you come to oklahoma city because you just can't help yourself after listening to this uh come to anthem brewery it's right kind of in the shadow of the middle finger that is the oklahoma city skyline (laughs) and uh what beer should they get uh, well, there's only one choice. It's the Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. When are they offering this? Like this from... is a seasonal beer. Okay. Uh, this is like literally this. Typical th- tonight was our rollout. Late, this yeah. is our. Uh, this is the first batch. Uh, we usually sell it through about early November. Yeah. So yeah, it's a seasonal beer. It's delicious if you like good malty. Uh, yeah, it was. You know, it's a Vienna style. Most, it's not it's a Marston. Solid. Well, I do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. The Oklahoma City metro area includes 1.3 million people, just outside the top 40 among metro populations in America. Granted, part of that is that it is in a constant race to become the biggest city in the country in terms of square mileage. Last I checked, the metro area claimed over 6,300 square miles, basically an 80 by 80 space. But it's a pretty big place by any definition. Does Weatherford count as a suburb then? It's only about 70 miles away from city center. Oklahoma City serves as a center of gravity for most of the state, really. It is simply the city, capital T, capital C. And as part of getting a feel for a city, you need to get a feel for what's outside that city, I think. For that, I turn to the experts. Eric Rattery and Derek Willis did as much as anyone in shaping my teenage years, and while plenty of members of our high school class left the town, either to the city or beyond, uh, they remained. Some can't get out, but some just don't want to. Eric's is the first voice you will hear besides my own. Derek's is the second. And by the way, listen to how different my voice is after two straight days of talking at a class reunion. And listen to how different my accent is when I go back to my hometown. I used to make fun of my mother for twanging it up around certain relatives. Apparently, I have my own variation of that, and I didn't even realize it. So here's where I'm going to start. There's an article... uh, all the you know the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and all these places have been uh, trying to figure out the the rural voter the the the, the Trump voter uh, and so they've been going to small towns they've been going to small towns and trying to understand small towns and usually it's based around the idea that people are super unhappy because there are no jobs and there are there is no anything and there's absolutely true but here's the it was from uh, West Branch Michigan 
He said, in rural America, which is coping with the onset of socioeconomic problems uh, that were once reserved for inner cities, the rate of people who moved across a county line in 2015 was 4.1%. Uh, that's down from 7.7% in the late 70s. This drop in mobility is not only keeping rural residents from climbing a ladder to better livelihoods, it's choking off the labor supply for employers in areas where jobs are plentiful. Uh, this limits the economic growth that can naturally occur when people and capital cluster together. So basically, the jobs are, are in a city, or the jobs are here and there, uh, but the people in small town can't afford to go there, so they're stuck here. Is, is what it came down to. And I mean, it's a true story. They, they talk to real people, but a lot of people from small towns just don't want to leave. And you guys could both leave if you wanted to, and you haven't. So first of all, why? That's not really all that difficult a question. I guess it, you, mainly for me, it's been family. Yeah. Uh, I've always been real tight-knit with my family, and so every... Uh, opportunity that I've always had to be around my family, that's where I wanted to be. Well, um, you start to feel like maybe that your community is your family too at some point, and, and so you don't really want to leave that. You, I'm uh, always consider myself a real simple guy, so I like things that I'm familiar with, and um, I like processes that I'm familiar with, and that seems to, you know, work for me. And so I've, I've never left. And I, pr I, nev I don't know that I ever would. I think uh, a guy like me wins uh, 50 million in the lottery and I move down the block to a big house or a big spot, you know? It's not, it's not gonna be, oh, well, I need to live in uh, Colorado now because I got money or I, I gotta do this. I'm, I'm sticking here. And that's probably gonna be all, you know, I can travel to all them other places but when I come home, I come home. I was about to say, we travel. Uh, we, you and I travel a decent amount. We went to L.A. I love L.A. Yes, you, I love you L.A. love both L.A. Yes, I love Korean barbecue, too. That's right. And yes. I, I love going to, uh, I, I get to go to New York about once a year, but I, and I love it, and I love leaving. Um, it, I, the places I pick to travel are usually for the food. Food's the, yeah, the yeah. I mean, it's almost always the number one reason why I'm going somewhere. If I'm going to New Orleans, it's for the Cajun food. I'm going to Seattle in October. It's for the fish and the seafood and the fresh food. And, you know, uh, the, the sites are the second, you know. And then if there's some kind of uh, athletic team playing, that's always nice, too. Well, and usually that's what these trips are about when we go. For sure. Yes. Well, and the same, same token, I, uh, we just got back from Florida. And uh, it was nice to take the kids down there. And you get to see a, a lot of different culture and a lot of different people. Obviously, the food was a big key in the amusement parks and uh, the big city and the glamour and everything, but it's always super nice to come home to, to familiar faces and, and friends. And in, in a small community, you know, it's, uh, it's always special. Um, our, our boys just played in a state tournament in baseball. And to get out and, and to be with kids that I grew up with and dads that I played sports with, to get to watch our kids go through some of the same things, and it, it's just a really, really big blessing. The one thing about like being in a New York or in LA is you can't ever really get away from people. Like you're just always you got to plan out your, especially in New York, you got to plan out your just your your random little. I got to run to the store, and you got to kind of just gird yourself up a little bit because it's going to take a lot of mental energy to do that, and that's not really the case uh, elsewhere. 
Weatherford is a football and baseball town. It's had random successes elsewhere, but those are the big ones. Baseball because of both coach continuity at the high school level and because, as I said, small town Oklahoma is really good at baseball. Meanwhile, football is, of course, the official state sport, but it's starting awfully early now. And I will say the one thing that drives me, that really makes me wary is, you know, tackle football 20 years ago, the first time, like when we were, it was seventh grade, first time you could play tackle football. And that was fine. I mean, I think, what, other schools were doing sixth grade at that point, right? And we were, so that first year, Weatherford gets destroyed in every single game. Yes. And then senior year makes state finals. Like, you you catch up. And, And that's what I... Like number one, the, you're you're playing tackle football in third grade or something. You're you're taking a lot more hits in life, right. and that I that makes me nervous because that that really can have kind of a uh, a cumulative effect over time. What I've figured out, Jack, my, my son's gonna be a sophomore in high school. Okay, and so and we start, you know, seven years ago. I'm I'm 30 years old, and Jackson's you know going into third grade, and they're like, oh, we're adding. Uh, little league youth football, you know, fully padded uh, for, you know, we're going to have seven and eight year old division and, and, and nine and 10, 11, 12. And, you know, and you're walking around with just, just, you know, your eight year old son and you're like, Hey, let's, and of course he loves football because his uncle Trent played football and that's all he's known is football and football. And, you know, and we, we do in other sports, but football is on our, on his mind. He's like, I got to play that. Okay. Okay. Well, well, I'll sign you up. And you sign up and you, you play that first year of football and they're eight years old and nobody really hits each other very hard. And so you, you get you feel, you know, you get this safety net of other eight year old kids. And, and, and they really they didn't. They arm tackled everybody and then you drag people to the ground, you know, and every once in a while somebody run into each other really hard. Mm-hmm. But it was an accident. It ain't. Oh, oops. I didn't mean to, like, blow you up. But right. it, but we're young and we, we, we ran into each other. And you then they get a year older and a year older, and now they're 10, 11 years old, and some of them weigh 150 pounds at 11, and some of them weigh 70 pounds <laughs> at 11, and they have figured it out. Yeah. And they know, I can hit that kid really hard, and I can hit that kid really hard, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay the wood, and, uh, you know, somebody's running for a touchdown, and this kid's jogging behind it, I can go and peel back and lay his tail out. <laughs> And it, and everybody oohs and ahs, and every and it, and then that's that's a that's a dangerous situation to put your children in. And it's not that I'm not a I'm not an anti-contact uh, kind of person, but uh, that's a that's a slippery slope for you to put your children on. I've coached the uh, both of my children, and and uh, we've won the league in in flag football for the last five years. I've never lost a game, and I'm moving. Uh, had a bunch of the coaches that I played high school football with and, and some of the guys I played college football with uh, that are, were moving my oldest into tackle this year. And I've really struggled with it because I haven't, I haven't wanted to do it at all. And, uh, and uh, the main reason is that just for the physicality and the, yeah. and the, the cheap shots and the, there's certain kids. And, and that's one thing I wanted to touch on. I grew up really in a, a single mom family, really poor, really, really uh, tough economics. And when you had bankers' kids or lawyers' kids starting over at you at sports, football is the one sport that that no matter what happens, you know, practice, you're going to have to meet me in yeah. between those cones. And as time comes on, when you put a kid like me out on the field or another good athlete, you, you can't deny their talent or their athleticism. They're going to play over another kid, you know. And so with my oldest son, he, he's done really well in the championship game last year. He had three touchdowns and flag, and all the dads want him to play. And, 
And I know he'll do well, but at the end of the day, you're going to have kids from these other towns that when he does a touchdown or does something well, they're really going to want to hurt you because of that, you know, because they just grow up in a different environment than what our children grow up in now. When I I was talking about uh, English soccer to a guy uh, one time, he he said, you know, one of the biggest problems with English English soccer is that everybody gets – uh, put into little buckets really early. Like you're, you know, you're you're eight years old. You're pretty big. You're a central defender. You're right. pretty fast. You're going to be a winger. I you're agree. pretty, and, and so they learn that position. But then bodies change, and you know, we were we were laughing yesterday at the reunion. We had a couple dudes who um, had like major growth spurts, like senior year in high school or even after high school. Yes. Uh, your body changes, and so now you're specialized in this one thing that your body doesn't really actually cooperate with anymore. Same exact thing with football. Right. Uh, just because you were the fast kid or the big kid at one age, uh, you know, you you get stuck with one position and you're stuck with it. It's you yeah. can't really play catch up in that regard, uh, and kids will slip through the cracks if they actually, if they're late bloomers or something. And so I just don't understand like the specialization of everything. I, I just don't understand why it's a good thing or why you know. Well, and I personally, you know, I coach baseball, I coach football, track with all the kids, and I've been yelled at and cussed at for putting kids in certain positions. Mm. By parents. I mean, yeah. My kid's going to be this. And I'm, right. I tell them, hey, man, we're out here to teach all the kids fundamentals and to love the sport. Yeah. My kids are fast right now. They might, I, was, I was a fast kid, but I was still not elite fast. And as I got older, I got elite fast. <laughs> so you never know if your kid's going to get faster, if he's going to get fat, if he's going to get slow. And my whole deal with the starting young, and this is what the, the problem with the American society is right now, 100%, and Eric can attest to this, my main reason for letting Brody play tackle football is what if he don't want to play in junior high or high school? You know, I was a very, very good soccer player, young. I stopped in eighth grade. I went all state teams. We, we traveled, did very, very well. Never played a lick of soccer in high school. And was very good and would have loved to play it. But I ran track, and you have to choose between right. sports. And so when you're little, like I try to tell everybody, I got a lot of great memories with this guy sitting next to me and all those guys at that reunion last night of winning a bunch of soccer games, going to big cities and beating big towns but had all their fancy shoes and their fancy <laughs> bags and all their club stuff, and we're a bunch of guys out there mismatching socks and shorts, pounding them. And, and I didn't get to do that in high school with those guys. You know what I'm saying? So for me, the, the Little League football, and, and they went almost won the Super Bowl last year, <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things is because people say, well, you know, well, someday in high school, well, someday in high school they might run into a Clinton like we did and get beat 28 to nothing in the finals because you just weren't good enough. So, you know, to have a lot of success when you're little is very, very important, but the main mainstay is that you might not play that sport, so enjoy it when you're playing it. Right. You might break a leg or have a season <laughs> in their in career-ending injury, even as a little kid, you know. Yeah, my dad, I think his proudest moment was um, when we – so, you know, we played City League Baseball or whatever, seven or eight years old, and um, yeah, it was seven and eight, yes. and uh, you know, basically, the Tigers. He the, the the games were a little rigged <laughs> in terms of who ends up on whose team, and uh, we go like zero and eight in the regular season oh, yeah. or whatever, and because we had like two girls at catcher, uh, we had uh, and he put them at catcher because it was the you know the the, the least coach amount pitch. of and it, it was coach, coach pitch and they were catcher, so it was kind of harmless, and they had no idea why they were out there. Like they, I, I have no idea. Like they, they had no interest in really playing, but they were there. They were signed up. Yep. They played. Uh, at one point, there was a little pop up, and and the one one of them just like watched it land, and you know everybody didn't like, even oh, you go, go get after it. it. You mean I can catch the ball? I can catch like, the ball. This is what we were dealing yes. with. It, it was a it was a scrub team that had never ever really 
only a couple decent players. Yes, I sir. was like the third best player, which is really all you need to know. <laughs> um, but you know, and and it was it was a sham because all the good players ended up on like two teams. But uh, it worked out pretty well because he got his revenge by scouting. He went out and scouted <laughs> eight-year-olds uh, in like the playoffs. Like we got, a, we were so bad that we got a buy. It was a like buy. The, the number one seed yes. got a buy, and the and the bottom seed got a oh, buy. Oh yes, a buy all the way to the semifinals. Right, and so we had to beat two teams, and he scouted them as they were going through like the quarterfinals and everything. Watch, like, okay, this kid every single time he hits it to you know the to right field. Every single time he's going to hit a grounder to third because it's coach it's pitch. Coach, they, it, they, it's one pitch. And so everybody, and he goes out there, and, and we start, like, you know, the Pirates got a lot of credit for all the, the shifts, the infield shifts and the defensive shifts they, when yes. they made the playoffs a few years ago. That was my dad <laughs> doing that in, like, 1987. 1987. Um, and we, so we just repositioned. He put his best defender, like, Eric was one of them, uh, put, like, the two good defenders right where the kid was going to hit the ball on every single play, mm-hmm. and we win the City League title at 2-8. Oh, 2-8. Yes. and, eight. Two and eight. And uh, city like, champ. That was oh his, yes, that was him. Yeah, that was his him showing his ass to the rest of the city. Yes. Um, but there, there were so many games and it, all that, that stuff. Great. <laughs> it's terrible. Was, but but also good great. and terrible. <laughs> so to, here's here's how I'm going to change subjects. I'm going to I'm going to quiz Eric. Uh oh. What was the score of the 1999 Oklahoma Notre Dame game? Uh, 34-31. 34 30. 34 30. Yes. Brandon Daniels ran a kickback. Okay. And we went up 30 to 14 and we lost. 34 uh, 30. 2001, Oklahoma, uh, Arkansas. 10 to 3. Yeah, that was terrible. That was Arkansas terrible. had 48 total yards. Oh, that's that game. It was cold. It was cold. It was so cold. 1996, Weatherford. Idabel, who did they play in the semifinals? We played Idabel and we beat them nine to six. That was, that was a terrible game, by the way. It was it went muddy. Yeah, we played on gross. a college field it and it was mud. Yeah, no Nineteen ninety six, Weatherford Marlowe. Which one? Playoffs. Oh, 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 hey, look at that. The playoffs. Thirty to nothing. Which is impressive because you you got concussed in that game. Yes, but you told me about it after the oh, game. That's true. Yeah, when we were right, the, the next awake. day. He yeah. actually went to the wrong sideline. Oh yeah, I know. Oh yeah. yeah. I didn't know who anybody was. Yeah. So um, we, er, Eric's got a little sports identic memory, um, uh-huh. but and a lot of it. I mean, Weatherford's a big part of it, but OU's been a humongous part of it, obviously, for the last uh, thirty uh, whatever 30, years. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I talked to, to Patrick the other night about: how much has the just the, the the statewide obsession with OU? How much has that changed with the Thunder? Being in town, uh, the Thunder has done absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing okay. to my obsession with. In my case, you know, uh, I mean, just to be able to take the kids right. to the games. I mean, we we've been to Tennessee, we've been to Florida State, I've been to all four major bowls. You know, the kids have been to Cotton Bowl, Sugar Bowl. We we went to Baylor, Michigan State one year. You know, <laughs> we 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 try to watch a, a different football venue and. And uh, it's very important, as well as the NBA. And then okay. also we took took the kids to the Final Four when OU made it in basketball. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you another thing. They're fighting thing. over the mic. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a Dallas I – mean, I'm born in Dallas. Yeah. So I'm a Dallas pro guy. That's I'm, true. I'm, uh, my finest moment is Mavericks NBA title. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm heartbroken in 06 when D. Wade gets the ghost phantom calls – 
and they beat the Mavericks, you know, and then I'm elated when they come back and beat the Heat after they've beaten, uh, you know, after, you know, well, obviously the year before they come out and they beat the Thunder. And, I, and there's not a problem with that. It, you know, when the Thunder are playing, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Thunder, you know, and I want them to be successful. And I feel a slight community tie there, mm -hmm. but not like to Dallas. I'm born in Dallas. Those are my teams. And then obviously grew up loving Sooner football. But when, you know, so. Westbrook, my, my boys go to his basketball camp. And he's super cool. And his brother's a really good friend of my youngest son. And always sees him at like OU football games. And I remember it was the Ohio State OU football game. And we're there. And Westbrook's right there in line with us. And, and uh, he sees my little one whose name's Cash, calls him Cash Money, and gives him some money for his birthday. And, and just to be at that OU game, and we go to a ton of NBA games. I mean, a lot of Thunder games. And uh, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. Nothing compared to college football. Not even in the, the glimpse. And I could care less if the Thunder win one or, or don't win one. And how I feel about professional sports is you're paid to win. So if you don't, you're, you're a failure. And if you do, then that's what you're supposed to do because <laughs> you're making millions of dollars. And it's hard for me, even being from a small market, and we go to a lot of Dallas Cowboy games every year. I take the boys to a ton of football games. I'm a big Detroit Lions fan, and they're, they're, uh, their corner was at the restaurant not too long ago. Slay and, and the boys were sitting there talking to him and telling him what he did against the Packers and how, how that Hair Mary hurt and, and all that. And it's funny, <laughs> you know, and it's nothing compared to the OU factor. I mean, not even the realm. And even with my two little ones, I mean, they just, it's so much fun and so much energy at a college football game because you have new faces and new kids that you really want to root for and see do well because you've been in those positions, you know. And like I said, I had buddies that played in the NFL, and you're, you're expected to do good. The camaraderie and the, the atmosphere is just not the same. And Durant proved that when he left the Thunder to go to a team and win a ring. You know, it's, it's just a business. And if I'm not good enough, I'm going to change and do something that's going to benefit me and who gives a damn <laughs> about the team. You know, and in college, it's not like that as much. And, I mean, we're, it's kind of an unfair question, I guess. We're out here with uh, your dog, Bozzy, uh, walking around. That would be Jackson's Mrs. Bosworth, right? Full name, and and, and she gets called Bozzy. And who else? Uh, what other animals? Have, you've had other. Animals. Every boxer's had a sooner name. Yeah. Boomer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back. Uh, what was? I think one of them was sooner in high school. It was sooner. Uh, three boxers: sooner, boomer, Bozzy. Bozzy. I've never really had the patience to solve a Rubik's Cube. I assume I could if I ever tried long enough, but I've never tried long enough. My six-year-old daughter at this point thinks she's solved it when she gets three colors lined up on one edge. And eventually she'll learn that that's not true, but I know she doesn't have the patience for it either at the moment. So I'll just fill her in on that later on. I almost find myself envisioning politics and divisions as a Rubik's Cube of sorts. I'll be at one I don't give up on solving after 30 seconds. I know there's a solution in there somewhere. I just know it. Even if the only evidence I have for such a belief is the simple fact that I can find common ground with and a love for people who are the polar opposite of me politically. I grew up around them after all. Oklahoma is the reddest of red states. Its politicians know that most of its residents haven't been around too many Muslims, or hell, black people for that matter. The number of African Americans in our high school graduating class in Weatherford was very much in the single digits. 
They know that they can create boogeymen to wield at voters, and they know that a lot of their voter base has never seen evidence to prove those stereotypes wrong. That's how they get to make a show of absolutely ridiculous things like a ban on Sharia law. Sharia law in Oklahoma, that was a big concern of theirs. The politicians here also know that Oklahomans have a deep-seated aversion to being told about all the things they do wrong. Who doesn't? There's a screw-you aspect to Oklahoma's voting habits, and I understand its origin at the very least. I also understand how destructive it is. In August, The Guardian published an article that called Oklahoma a, quote, failing state. Here's how it begins. A teacher panhandles on a roadside to buy supplies for her third-grade classroom. Entire school districts resort to four-day school weeks. Nearly one in four children struggle with hunger. A city overpass crumbles and swarms of earthquakes shake the region. The underground disposal of oil and gas industry wastes have caused the tremors. Wildfires burn out of control. Cuts to state forestry services mean that out-of-state firefighting crews must be called in. A paralyzed and mentally ill veteran is left on the floor of a county jail. Guards watch for days until the prisoner dies. A death row inmate violently convulses on the gurney as prison officials experiment with an untested cocktail for execution. Added up, the facts evoke a social breakdown across the board. Not only does Oklahoma lead the country in cuts to education, it's also number one in rates of female incarceration, places second in male incarceration, and also leads in school expulsion rate. One in 12 Oklahomans has a felony conviction. Yikes. Later on, it mentions that employees at Quick Trip, an admittedly wonderful convenience store, make more than teachers in the state. Double yikes. By the way, here's how our friend Patrick summarized the piece at The Lost Ogle. Quote, basically, it's a long, sad, and very depressing read that will make you want to open Zillow to look for a new home in a different state. But it's not all bad. The writer did forget to mention the syphilis outbreak. Anyway, Only 29% of Oklahoma voters voted for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 presidential election. Donald Trump won every single county, including Oklahoma County, where much of Oklahoma City resides. They continued to reelect the egregious, cartoonish Jim Inhofe to the U.S. Senate. I didn't want to make this entire thing about politics, obviously, and I didn't want to make my entire conversation with Eric and Derek about it. But it was hard. And I had to bring up at least a couple of things. Number one, deportation. As of 2010, Hispanics made up nearly 10% of the state's population. The effects of deportation might be significant, even more significant than all the other effects of all the other toxic policies the state has embraced through the years. Derek runs a very successful home improvement and painting business. He started it from scratch. It was incredible. It probably goes without saying that he employs a lot of Mexicans. It probably also goes without saying who he voted for. So uh, in 99, um, my my dad lived in D.C. My mom hadn't moved up there yet. Uh, I spent the summer with my dad. I think it was 90. Yeah, it was 99. 99. Uh, And and Derek uh, flies one way to D.C. to hang out for a few days. And then he basically drives back across country to Oklahoma with me. Uh, So that was uh, he got to spend a few days in in D.C. and whatnot. And then we drove. a, I don't think I've ever been as hoarse as I was uh, on that drive because we yelled at each other for about 15 straight hours uh, all the way back past Columbia through a rainstorm. I think we paused to listen to, like, the new Chris Rock CD at one point, but that yeah. was about it. Um, Good trip. And, and we, you know, there, there was – we can argue uh, and I'll say debate about debate, anything yeah. for a long period of time, and we weren't even talking about politics – because I can't even imagine how long the debate would be if we got into politics. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm guessing I know how you voted in the election. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he walks out and says, I'm running for president, and a Mexican's a rapist that we need to send home. Right. So I know you hire a lot of Mexicans. Correct. I, I mean, I, Eric and I have talked about this. He's like, yes. you know, saying you can't hire white people because they're lazy. Right. Um, so, I mean, well, how do you just, like, what's, how, how do you, I don't know Fix if justify. Well, no, I mean, first of all, like, I, I don't know if justify is quite the right word, but how do you kind of, it's okay that I've, like, I, I'm voting for this guy because, even though I know the value that, uh, you know, these, that potentially some illegal citizens, uh, some people. Well, it might illegal, hurt my, yes. yeah. Like, and that's what I told you. I, I'm all about my state and about my countries. So what might hurt my business and my financial interest is not as important as what's going to help my children grow. Does that make sense? So, so like, we've had employees for us that have been sent back for, for sexual crimes, for other things that I don't want to really talk about, you know, and we got a lot of good guys, you know. So you can't sit there and stereotype, you know, and I get tired of, of the country saying Mexicans. Mexi we have illegal Russians. <laughs> we have all these Chinese people over here making a, a restaurant in every community that's not legal. You have sex slaves. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And so it's, it's a big, big problem. You know, and, and for us as a company, even even them, I mean, in the in the state of Oklahoma, they have drove our wages to 1984, 1985 pricing. So how is that good for a country? It's not, you know. You're going to have a, a few people at the very top, which would be the contractors, oh, yeah. getting richer. Yeah. And then all the subs and all the people that are down low just barely getting by. Mm -hmm. But know? if they're not here, does it get better? I, I do think so. It's like the, the fact that I was saying, does everybody need a big house? You know, when, when I was a child, you know, we, we painted in high school and we do one or two homes a year. I made really good money and had a really comfortable lifestyle. Same to now. How do I, uh, I, I make that lifestyle the same is I just do more. And that, that's not fair to my children or for, or for me. Americans as a whole, we work three times harder than what we should just to maintain a lifestyle, you know. And I was on vacation. I was talking to a guy from London, man. He's in, in Orlando for a month. I'm there for five days. Well, who's, who's got it figured out? <laughs> Definitely not me. You know what I mean? I love spending my, once my children are gone, they're gone. But, you know, just like my mother, she had to work three jobs. How much did I see her growing up? Hardly at all. You know what I'm saying? So in our country, it, it, it's, you know, like I said, when everything was made in, in, in when we were 80 kids, like you're saying, when we're in high school, how many vehicles did you have? Well, now we have way too many cars on the market. Eventually, it's going to sustain itself and crash because you can't just sustain everybody buying a $90,000 SUV every year. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and everything's bigger. But how many burger joints do we have? And then you still hear people, well, we don't have no ways to eat. You know, well, go to the Bahamas. Go to a different country and see how many places you have to eat. You know what I mean? It's, it's all fish or it's all chicken. It's, in America, you have everything. And I think as a whole, eventually we will collapse as a society, just like the Roman Empire. I truly believe that. And well, it I happened in the housing market. And here we are just building big houses and big condos all over. I mean, in Orlando, it was, I, I remember five or six years ago, there was one job site building in Orlando when we took the kids down there. One freaking job site. And now there's just stuff building everywhere. Yeah, every, that's, there's a book, I can't remember what it's called. It's like Manias, Panics, and Crashes or something like that. Um, it was about like how things have crashed before. Right. I had to stop reading it. There's every chapter was it's basically, <laughs> it's, it's a semi new technology or something, uh, some development like that. And everybody goes, this is different. Everything has changed. We don't have to worry about a bubble bursting. And then the bubble bursts. Yes. And the next chapter, same exact thing. And, and so like after four chapters, like, oh, okay. And then you, you notice exactly the same bubbles forming. Uh, and then the same thing happened. And every single time we don't ever do anything. But to, to that point, 
I don't think deporting Mexicans is the way to or is to is the way to, to fix that problem. No. I mean, I think the the the, the out in any any sort of influences we can draw from the outside right. uh, and, and different cultures and everything. Uh, my my biggest problem as a as a, a born citizen here and as an Oklahoman, and even in my even my employees that are legal that are here hate illegals, their own people because they bring their wages down and their standards down. You're not always getting the best and the brightest coming mm -hmm. over here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and then they're having five kids. Every one of my employees have four <laughs> or five kids. And their kids were born for free, and I have to pay a $10,000 hospital bill. I have a huge problem with that. And it's not just that it's not fair. At some point, your society will break when you have too many people sucking on the tit and not enough milk to go around. Well, and I think, I mean, the, to, to me, the, the way you address that is uh, by creating – you go the citizenship route. You create a path to where they're involved, to where they're paying taxes, and they're right. in the system. I agree. Uh, instead of just, uh, you know, turn. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think I think some more. I, well, his big deal is, and I have a huge problem with it. And I've always it's our, our our prison system. You know, you touched on it earlier. Well, in the state of Oklahoma, the average inmate is forty five thousand a year. <laughs> we have employees that don't even come close to oh, make God, that, no. and then I have employees that make well over that. Well, here's the deal. I've had employees tell me straight up, and this is true. Think about this now. And most Americans do not think about it, okay? They want to bitch about it, but they don't <laughs> sit there and want to come up with a solution. If I'm an old person in America, where am I better off? In a government nursing home or in a, or in a prison? Think about that. Your, your health care, yeah. your relaxation, your meal plan. Everything is way better in a prison than what it would be in and a nursing it's super, home. And it's going to get super awkward as, as we finally kind of accept that marijuana isn't crack cocaine. Right. And, uh, and, that's and the all thing. these people in jail for doing things that really shouldn't that have ever been illegal right. and definitely aren't now. Well, I have employees. And you knew it was illegal when you did it. I understand that. But still. I, I have employees. And it makes me think of Shawshank Redemption, one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time. And I got employees right now that have worked for me for 12 years that will straight up tell you that when they're older, they want to go back to prison. Oh. And they're from Mexico. And they tell you straight up, because when I was in prison, I still had sex, I still had drugs, <laughs> I still had meals. He's like, think how stressed out you are in the real world, Derek. And I said, yeah, I know, I got a mortgage and kids. But think about that. In prison, you still get everything that you, you have on the outside, but you have no, no uh, responsibilities. You're not stressed about your next check. We, 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 we came back from our trip last uh, November from North Carolina. I flew back into Oklahoma City, and I had... I got back, you know, Autumn was in Tulsa with Emma, and she's playing soccer, and so I've got like three hours to kill before she comes back through town to get me. So I, you know, call a taxi, or I go get in a taxi, and I have the guy take me to IHOP because I'm just like, yes, I'm going to eat <laughs> pancakes and all the, the whole business. And, and I get in the, you know, and I immediately notice that the driver's African. He's from Africa. I mean, he is. And so I'm just, I, I love talking to uh Foreigners. And so it, I live in Western Oklahoma. I don't see, uh, you know, I don't get to meet people from different cultures very often. Yeah. And so immediately, where, what country? Where are you from? He's talking, I'm from Cameroon. And I'm, boom, indomitable lion. That's right, soccer. And, and that's my hook. And I got him. And now he's like, oh, you know, the, you know, and then we're just talking and we're talking. And the whole trip, the whole drive, you know, it takes 15 or 20 minutes to take me to the nearest IHOP, and I'm just talking to him, and this is amazing. This is why I like going on trips with Eric, because he's as good as, at small talk as I am bad at it, so it works really well. So I'm at this guy, and we're just talking, 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 and somehow we get to talking about families, being, having a family. And, I, you know, because, you know, the, the conversation obviously led to uh, 
is your family here or are they back home? Do you send money back home? Yes, I take care of my family back home. I do da 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 And he drops a bombshell of Americans don't take care of their elders. Yep. Yep. Do not take care of their parents. Not just elders, their parents. These are your parents. Yep. <laughs> you don't take care of them. They yep. put them in the nursing home. I'm not moving them in my house. I got a five-bedroom, six-and-a-half-bath house, and I'm not going to move my parents in. <laughs> That's right. Because it cramps my style. Yep. They might shit their pants. I, whatever reason, we do not do it. Yep. Like when you talked about being in prison, as, an, as a, it's, we take better care of our we got to set up a system where we're not sending people to prison, and that money's being spent on taking yeah. care of the people that need to be taken Road, care of. Yeah. Roads, schools, education. Educate these people at a young age. Get them educated. Keep them out of and and, and even here. if that even if that means you got to pay a little more taxes to get all yes, that. Yes, I'll pay up. more taxes. Right. And, and it's just like the housing. Deal, Done. You know? I will pay more taxes. If stuff's made in America, yes. I'm willing to pay more for it. Yes. All of it's junk, no matter where. <laughs> it can be junk. It can be junk. And here's the deal. I, you know, I don't want to. I don't. I want to drive on nice roads. I want to drive a nice vehicle. I want to have a nice house. I want other people to feel like they can succeed yep. in our country. Right. All right. So, and if that takes whatever it takes, I'm down. I'm doing it. I'll right. help. Back to sports for a bit. Crimson isn't the only color in town. While there's easy access to Norman from Oklahoma City, it's just a few minutes south, about an hour north of downtown rests Stillwater, home of Oklahoma State University. OU gives the vibe of being the state's official school, while OSU has more of a small town feel. But if you're a part of that small town, a part of that community, it means the world to you. To get the orange point of view, I spoke with Dave Hunziker, the voice of Oklahoma State football and basketball, about the Cowboys' ambitions and the drastic changes that have taken place within Stillwater over the last decade or so. So I'm a stats guy at heart, uh, and I find myself kind of thinking of things in formulas sometimes. And I, and I have a formula for campus unity and community that basically relates to, uh, in the end, how close are the dorms to the athletic facilities and how close are the dorms to the downtown places that everybody's heard of, the college town places. And I don't think there's, you know, whatever that formula is, it equals up to like a perfect one for Oklahoma State. Um, and I, it, this is one of the most unique places on the planet, I think, for, for college unity. I had a friend who, wor- who uh, lived 100, mi- 100 yards from Eskimo Joe's, 100 mi- uh, yards from uh, Boone, uh, from uh, Lewis Field. Right. And uh, this is cool. And I know you're not a... OSU guy to start with, but you've been here a while now. First of all, have you seen any place like this? This is uh, so unique in so many ways. No, I haven't, and I think, honestly, I appreciate it more because I didn't grow up here. Yeah. Because you see it differently. The, the cool thing is you sit right here at the edge of campus, but in the middle of town. Right. Where all the action happens. <laughs> Boone Pickens Stadium is two blocks from Eskimo Joe's, yep. the world-famous hangout. Another two blocks to Hideaway Pizza, which is another <laughs> infamous Stillwater place. Not to mention other bars, pubs, taverns, etc. However, if you get carried away <laughs> and you meander back to the stadium in some sort of a unfamiliar state, the Catholic Church is right across <laughs> the street from Boone Pickens Stadium, and I'm quite certain that Father Carey would yeah. hear any confession at any time should you need it. So you're just right. I tell people, and I've said this on the air, 
I think Boone Pickens Stadium is the Wrigley Field of college football. <laughs> it's so it's unique. It's right there. You know what I'm saying? You're right in the neighborhood. It's so unique with the tight sidelines, extra points ricochet off of yep. gallagher Iba Arena back out onto the field. We sit right in the middle of everything in town. I, it's so cool. <laughs> I'm biased. I'm hardly an right. unbiased opinion. But if you haven't been to Stillwater, you should come to experience the unique atmosphere and surroundings that are a part of going to a game here because it is truly unlike any other place I've been. And I've, I've been to a lot of places. Yeah, no, I mean, I can think of, you know, my favorite aspects of college towns like Penn State. Uh, you know, the freshman dorms are right next to all the athletic facilities. That's how you get – that's how you ensure student support for everything. Uh, you get that here, but um, – you know, de- campus uh, or downtown, excuse me, is at the end of an enormous campus. Uh, and so that's a little trickier and it's, it's best of all worlds. Now, I will say, uh, I think the last game I went to at Boone at Pickens Stadium was 01. It's changed uh, just slightly since 01 um, with the uh, just that entire closed end. That was all open 16 years ago. Well, the joke was before we did the renovation, which began in 2004 and ended in 2009, the, the joke was. You needed a tetanus shot to go to Boone Pickens or to go to Lewis Field, I should (laughs) say, because it was so full of rust and everything else. They managed to renovate it, and boy, did they ever. It's just a fantastic facility. And it's all the accents that really help it. And I mean, it has been that, you know, the university is married to a booster, which is also pretty unique. I mean, he's he's not the only one, obviously, but he's the biggest one. And and his name is known by college football fans, which is unique in and of itself, too. Um, But there's no question that whatever he's invested in, I think he's seen at least a, a pretty solid return on that investment so far. Well, the unique thing about Boone Pickens is. Instead of leaving it in his estate, as he said many times, <laughs> I want to see in my lifetime, while I'm still alive, the return on my investment. Right. So that led him to the extraordinary gift that he made. And the thing is, from 2004 to 2009, the south side was done first to the stadium, the north side, and then the west end zone complex, mm-hmm. which also includes the football offices the support facilities, the weight room, et cetera, et cetera. And so it happened in five years. Yeah, yeah. It was with quick. barely any debt, which is <laughs> completely unheard of in college yeah. football. Facilities are built, but usually they're financed over a series of years. There's very little debt on the facility, and he's lived to see the return. Yeah. I mean, what Oklahoma State's achieved in recent years with a prominent place in the top 15 basically every year but one the last 10 years, and the runs they've had, winning a Big 12 title in 2011 and playing for the conference title the last week of the season, uh, most certainly in 2013 and, and 2016 as well, he's seen the return on his investment. But again, it's there's so many nuances. There was a lot of attention to detail. The suites are out of this world. The club level is fantastic, all with the Western motif. Mm. And uh, I never thought we could have more than 100 suites in our stadium and every <laughs> one of them be sold. Yeah. But that's the case. I mean, it's been an unbelievable transformation because back when I arrived here in 2001, a crowd of 36 or 37,000 mm-hmm. was considered a nice crowd. And now it's 56, 57,000 on a weekly basis. The only other place I've been to that I can remember where the fans are that close is Virginia Tech. I actually did mm-hmm. sideline as a fill-in for the University of Pittsburgh when I was in Virginia oh, nice. a long time ago. <laughs> and I can remember how tight those sidelines were. Mm-hmm. And as the 
program has evolved, and one, you see more little home field nuances occur. Mm -hmm. The paddle people are the students that <laughs> right. sit on the front rows, and they have wooden paddles and, the, and, and up against the protective mat that protects the wall right. at the bottom of the facility next to the field. They beat those paddles against that padding, and it, <laughs> and it becomes very loud and very annoying to the opponents. And that's evolved during this transformation right. with the facility and the football program. And that's a unique part of this thing because those paddle people are scattered over about 50 or 60 yards and just <laughs> pounding that padding with those paddles. And it makes for a rather a annoying little thing the visiting team has to deal with. Well, and, and it was already kind of disorienting uh, because, uh, you know, we experienced, I, I think I was here in 01, I, I think that was as a Mizzou fan um, in the road section. Um, there's already, uh, when, when you score and everybody waves, you know, yes. there's an explosion and then the crowd's not making any noise for a second and then the crowd starts making noise again. It's, it's everything, every little piece of the uh, experience is kind of unique. I guess it's Oklahoma State and what, Kansas that do that. Yes, the, the waving the, the weed. Waving, yeah. Um, so you came here in 01. Before that, you were, uh, first of all, you were a Mizzou grad. Right. Um, and I know I, I read something about, you know, Kevin Harlan being one of your influences. No question. Yeah, he was a KU guy. That did Mizzou, do, which was Mizzou. unusual. Um, and so for, uh, how weird is that to begin with when everybody kind of knows where you're from, everybody knows your background, and then you're, you're basically asking to be welcomed into a different family? It's funny you say that because the, in 2001, yeah. the game you're referring to here... Yeah. yeah, the overtime game. ...was the first Missouri OSU game I did. Yeah. That was my first <laughs> season. And I was speaking to some donors that day, and Terry Don Phillips, the athletic director here at Oklahoma State, who ironically got his first job in college athletics working for Dave Hart Sr. at Missouri. Oh, okay. That's part of the reason I'm here is that whole connection <laughs> deal involving Dave Hart Sr. and Joe Castiglione, who, of course, has now been the ultra-successful athletic director at Oklahoma. But he asked me that day when I was talking to those donors, you need to check your boxer shorts to make sure that you're not wearing Mizzou boxers underneath. But people were very nice to me from the start. And here's the thing that I told people when they asked. My college roommate, a wonderful one of my college roommates, a wonderful guy named Steve Kiley who sells commercial insurance in Kansas City, whether Missouri wins or loses, mm -hmm. he goes to work the next day and he's going to sell insurance. <laughs> now he might be cussing a little bit, but things are okay. Right. When you work in an athletic department and you get to know the student athletes and you get to know the coaches and they invest as student athletes so much time into their craft and they get 12 weeks out of the year to perform, you want them to do well. Then you add the coaching piece of it. That's their livelihood. Right. And in the high pressure business of coaching, when you become acquainted with these guys and in many cases become their friends, you want them to be successful. It's very personal. Yeah. So the adjustment isn't that big. And I think the fans recognize that I was all in from the start. Some guys struggle with that. I did not struggle one iota. I, I was all in with here. These people were nice enough to give me an opportunity. These people are unbelievably nice, which is another <laughs> part of it, the nicest fan base you'll probably run across on the planet. And now this is my family. It just changes. And it's like I told some people, too, I don't know Gary Pinkle. Yeah. Now I've met him since, and right. I know him. But when I took the job, I did not know Gary Pinkle, and I know him a little bit, and some of the other staff guys. But – you know, I didn't know Quinn Snyder, uh, yeah. so, but I certainly knew Sean Sutton very well, right. Coach Sutton. You know, they were very close friends. So it's just different. It, it, when you're vested in it and you work in it, you're around it every day, that's part of who you are, but it kind of just falls into the background. Mm -hmm. And what's important is what's staring you in the face. So that's kind of how it went.
So the Thunder, has, uh, you know, one of the things I heard about when they first came here was, um, you know, was everybody's kind of watching to see what impact they would have on on football and on basketball, uh, on o, like OU and OSU basketball, right, and right. Um, and so far, I've I've surveyed the people I've talked to. Um, Patrick said that he now really does kind of split his budget more with the Thunder and the Sooners than he used to. Uh, my friends at Weatherford basically said, no, it's OU first. You know, we'll go to Thunder games, whatever. It's fun, but they're not they're not my team. I grew up a Mavs fan or whatever. Right, right, right. Just, so um, so it's kind of – it's been split so far. But has there been a noticeable impact in terms of attendance for basketball? There, Oh, there's no doubt there yeah. has been. And, and unfortunately, uh, it's been negative. I think Oklahoma would tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough. I mean, there's only so many hours in a day. <laughs> there's only so much money you right. have to spend for basketball tickets. And the Thunder have been very successful. Yep. And the thing is, as far as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are concerned, both of the schools since the Thunder arrived have had pockets of success but really have been a little bit up and down. Right. And so that's not helped things. Right. And so I think that's, that's part of it. You know, the, the timing for the Thunder in terms of coming in along with the timing of – you know, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State being a little bit up and down. Now, right. Oklahoma's had a couple of fantastic teams. They were in the Final Four two years ago. Oklahoma State's had some nice teams during that run. But, oh, no doubt it's impacted things. And, and I think most schools would tell you that it's affected attendance in a negative way. It, there's just no way around it. Yeah. If you remember anything about OSU athletics beyond Mike Gundy, T. Boone, Barry Sanders, and Big Country, it's probably the plane crash. In late January 2001, a plane carrying two OSU basketball players, four OSU athletic administrators, two media members, and two crew members crashed 40 miles east of Denver following a cowboy game at Colorado. Their names, Kendall Durfee, Bjorn Falstrom, Will Hancock, Nate Fleming, Dan Lawson, Brian Lewinstra, Denver Mills, Pat Noyes, Jared Weiberg, and Bill Teagans. The ten are memorialized outside of OSU's Athletics Hall of Fame in Gallagher-Iba Arena, but one was unintentionally the face of the group. Every sports fan in the state knew Tegans, a longtime fixture and endlessly happy, engaging presence on the sports staff of the Oklahoma City CBS affiliate and one hell of a homer announcer for OSU. His exasperated for crying out loud and oh brother made cowboy losses worth listening to and since he was aboard to call OSU football in the early 90s, he was on hand for plenty of losses. But his exhilarated calls during the Cowboys' 1995 Final Four run made an amazing moment even more so. When OSU made the Final Four again in 2004 after his death, they replayed his call on the Cowboy Radio Network broadcast. That is one hell of an act to follow. So I talked about Mizzou coming from one uh, family and, and, and coming to another. Uh, there was obviously a much bigger transition in, in regard to uh, who you were replacing. Right. Uh, in 01 and um, I, I you know my friend who I, I said lives a hundred steps or whatever from uh, Gallagher Iba uh, he was he was broken yeah when um, the, like his favorite uh, sportscaster in the world at any level is Bill Tegans um, and I like, I mean I you know I, I, I was only here till about 97 but I mean I had my Bill Tegan stories and and you know best homer announcer of all time when he just when he gets disgusted you can't he <laughs> you hear it and when Missouri beats uh, OSU in, in 97, I was listening on the radio, and I couldn't tell what had happened because he just kind of trailed off. Like, you know, <laughs> swing a gate. Uh, gonna... <laughs> I, th- I think we won. I'm not – but uh, having to replace that, I mean, that's about as as, uh, as tough a, a, a thing as, as I can imagine because, um, you know, 
well, just, I mean, there was a, a powerful personality there. Both fan bases liked him. Um, I mean, what were the steps you had you had to take to just kind of, you know, to to think you're doing, you're, you're carving out your own niche and, 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 and all of that? I just looked at it and said, just do the job to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. And if you're sound in what you do, hopefully over time, they'll come to accept you. Yeah. And if you make mistakes, which you will, they'll forgive those. And you can just over time, hopefully build up the credibility that they'll accept you. You don't know if that's going to happen. But it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the culture here and the fact that people are just so nice. Right. <laughs> I don't think I could have made any transition like this at any school in the country as smoothly as I did here. And I say I did it. I really didn't do it. They did it, the fans, because they accepted me. They accepted my faults, and they didn't. If they did judge... It was behind closed doors, right. and I never heard it <laughs> yeah. because I never heard anything of the sort, and they just kind of let it ride. Yeah. And so it was pretty easy that way. I just, I just did my job. I got cold feet about this. Yeah. Joe Castiglione had a lot to do with me coming here, and OSU fans have learned to accept that. And they, they recognize <laughs> Joe for how extraordinary he is as, as an athletic director. They, you know, they, everybody understands that. But I, I had cold feet, and I remember talking to Joe. I said, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And this, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't know if I can do this the way it needs to be done. And he just said, hey, you can do it. I believe you can do it. That's why I recommended you. You can wait for 15 years for the next Big 12 job to open up <laughs> and hope the stars line up right. that you can land the job because here it looks like you're in a great position. Or you can do what I think you should do and go in there and just be professional and be who you are. And he said, I'm telling you everything will work out fine. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I guess that's what I need to do. <laughs> and and he, that really meant a lot that he supported me and believed in me. And Terry Don Phillips was incredibly supportive. Yeah. But the fans, that's the big thing. The administration, they can be really supportive. But, boy, if the fan base doesn't accept – it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And so I was really lucky. And I'll tell you what else helped. That's when football started winning. Yeah. Beating yeah. OU in Beat 01, first beating year, OU yeah. in 02. Let me tell you something. As far as my ability to transition is concerned, those two wins played a huge role. Yeah. Because you could have had someone calling the game in Portuguese from a barn <laughs> out west of Woodward, and they wouldn't have cared who was doing it or what they said. The news was so good anybody could proclaim it. Mike Gundy in the last two years has uh, let his personality out. Oh, yeah. And everybody loves it. Um, now, first of all, you've seen, the, you, you've seen the hair quite a bit up oh, close. Yeah, I've seen it very close. Um, how, well, really, my question is, is in reverse. How, how did he keep himself from doing this for so long if it was such a natural thing once he started doing it? Oh, with him, my goodness. you know... I think he also understands, you know, he, I don't know exactly what drove it. I think it was just something he just kind of started doing and his boys liked it right. or didn't like it. And then it so takes off oh, yeah. from there. Yeah. And one thing about Mike Gundy that is, I find so intriguing and so enjoyable. He wants you to think he's just some kind of country hick from <laughs> Oklahoma. While in the meantime, he's, cured a major disease, discovered a major new invention, 
and made $6 billion. <laughs> he's unbelievably smart. And one of the ways he's smart is he's got every, he has a lot of people fooled. They just yeah. think he's this okie. You know, and I say okie, you know, in a stereotypical way that people's like, oh, he's just some, you know, he's just some backwoods guy or, you know, he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Yeah. Every decision he makes every day is calculated. <laughs> he thinks through everything he does. And he's been so innovative here. Uh, offensively, the things that they did back in 2010, 2011, oh, the start of the diamond formation, using uh, tight ends, fullbacks in the backfield in an inverted wishbone, right. if you will, trying to create one-on-one -on -one coverage for those receivers and to utilize the skills of a guy like Kendall Hunter at tailback. That spread like wildfire, not only across college football, but into the NFL as well. You know, what he decided to do at that time seven years ago in terms of conditioning and deciding that hitting during the season, having full bore scrimmages and tackling a lot in the scrimmage was counterproductive. Yeah. People thought that was nuts. It's like, <laughs> now what? everybody Now everybody does, now that everybody that, so. does it. Monitoring fatigue yeah. and being attentive to that, even when the science wasn't there, they were studying that and they were cutting back and really paying close attention to what guys were doing. Now there's a whole science based on that. <laughs> he doesn't get enough credit for a lot of the innovations that he's done. But again, people think, oh, it's all about the mullet. It's all about <laughs> rattlesnake hunting. Oh, that was great too. Oh, and in the meantime, he's figured out four new ways to do things that a lot of people haven't even thought about yet. He's unbelievably smart. Everything is calculated, but yet he has this appearance of everything being off the cuff. That's just not true. He's just, he's such a fun guy to be around and, uh, you know, he's done an amazing job here. You just right. think back to what he's accomplished, and, you know, he had not been a head coach. Yeah. And so it was a bit of a risk, I think, in the eyes of many when he was brought on. But, again, just ahead of the game, willing to change. Yeah. Not stubborn at all. I mean, after 2009, after they lost 27 nothing to Oklahoma in the regular season finale. Right. He realized, in fact, he, you know, he said it. He, we've got to change. And he brought in Dana Holgerson and yep. made a drastic offensive change. And then they hybrid-sized, yeah. as we called it. And I used to ask him that all the time. It's like, you're trying to create a hybrid form of the air raid yep. with more of a run game presence. A little more power. That's exactly what I want. Because he, at the end of the day, probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> you know, for opponents listening, but they figured this out. He's a Pat Jones guy. Yeah. Pat Jones was the coach here when Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders were here. What does that mean? Deep down, Mike Gundy wants to run, run the, the ball. ball. Yep. I mean, the first 06, 07, 08, those seven win seasons the first two years, yep. and then the 08 season we talked about That's, earlier, yep. Oklahoma State ran the ball more yep. than any team in the Big 12. 62%, if I remember correctly, <laughs> of Oklahoma State's offensive plays were runs. Yep. You would never imagine that now. Or if you follow college football, you would never believe that, what? Mike Gundy did that? He's always willing to adapt and change, and he always wants to stay one step or two steps ahead of everybody else, while in the meantime making everyone think that everything's off the cuff and he's just some guy some that's hick, yeah. he's just some hick. <laughs> he's got him fooled. Well, he has my heart because he found his offensive coordinator by looking at stats on the Internet, so... Of course, I'm going to have to like him. Yeah, so he says anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there again, I want you to think he's off the cuff. I just, I just Googled stats one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. and I've got, <laughs> I'll tell you what else I've got. I've got oceanfront property west of town here too. Yeah, no, he's, it's, 
is fun to watch. Uh, he, this whole program has created a pr- – well, I mean, the best way to put it, Pat Jones. In the 1980s, they employed Jimmy Johnson. They employed Pat Jones. They had Mike Gundy, Thurman Thomas, Barry Sanders, Hartley Dykes, Dexter Manley, uh, but they never got close to beating OU in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. The one time, the one the, the drop pass game that I still, feel, I still feel for that guy. Yeah, but um, but now it's incredibly realistic to think about winning the conference title. Oh, and sure, beating OU um, and everything else, and that that alone is is uh, remarkable to think about. Fifteen years, it's hard to believe it's happened that quickly. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't usually happen that quickly. It could happen over a series of a generation. Yeah, shoot, it's happened while kids have grown up in Stillwater, (laughs) and and it's changed. It's pretty amazing. Human nature is screwy. I don't really know how else to put it. I love Oklahoma, and I hate Oklahoma. Oklahoma will feed you well. Granted, if you come to visit it, it will try to blow you right back to where you came from the moment you get there. I played tennis growing up and didn't actually know what it was like to play in placid conditions because of all the wind. Still... You will meet impossibly friendly people who seem genuinely interested in your well-being. If you come for a sporting event, you might drink shitty 3.2% beer with them, too. They'll talk to you about anything, and you'll inevitably find common ground with them. Lord knows they'll talk sports with you as long as you possibly want to. And when you leave, a lot of them will continue to vote for some of the most ruthless, transparently hateful policies and politicians in this country. It's all part of the package. I don't know what the solution to any of this is for Oklahoma, for the country as a whole, but I'm going to keep talking to people here and elsewhere until I figure that out. And I recommend everybody else do the same. We don't really have another choice here.